So it's my pleasure to bring to you Brother Marvin Trees, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Let's give the Lord another big hand clap as he comes. Praise the Lord, everybody. As I was saying before I was rudely interrupted, holiness is a need among us. Amen. Have changed my message. Thank you so much for being here this morning for the kind words. And conference is a wonderful time for us. It's a wonderful thing. We hear rumors. We hear a lot of negative output by different people. But I tell you, when you come to general conference, you get to hear the strong, the right. Wait till it comes to the floor and you'll find out how the brethren really feel about it. Amen. I'm happy to belong to such a group as impacting the world today. And I have a belief that when Jesus comes, there's still going to be a strong apostolic church. Still going to be a strong church. And we appreciate so much the words of Brother Chambers last night, Brother Urshan, and then Brother Lumpkin this morning. It'll be a sad day if the Lord tarries, they are not with us uh, anymore. That'll be a sad day when we don't have these voices around. And I think that it's altogether proper that we hear them and that they, as in this service today, have something to report to us and to tell us and to take us back into memory. Thank God. There is a church. It is called out. And uh, it is a unique church. There's none other like it in the world. There are others that are trying to do some of the same things they think. But the word of God draws a broad line or a different line, a broad line between us. Thank God. I'd like to be used of the Lord this morning if I could. I have nothing to prove as far as my personal ability. And I don't believe that I have been asked to come back this year because of my preaching ability or my persona, anything of that sort. But purely the subject uh, that interests us all here, and uh, that is that we must find what God wants us to be and measure up to that. One man's idea is not good enough. We've got to know what the Word of God is saying. Would you like to hear what the Word of the Lord says this morning? We can answer every question relative to our standard of holiness. We can, ask, we can answer every question. And uh, just give us time and it'll come around. God bless your heart. I'm going to get into the word of the Lord this morning. I could take a lot of time. But uh, I'm going to be reading from an ancient manuscript, if you don't mind. And uh, this is the oldest manuscript that we have of Hebrews uh, 2. In fact, it is the oldest manuscript. Papyri 
46, and I will be giving it a very, well, what is called a wooden translation. It's stilted. It is the per equal uh, syllable translation. There are untranslatable riches in the Greek. What makes good Greek sometimes doesn't make good English, so we have to translate it for you. But I'm going to be reading from uh, Papyri 46, the most ancient manuscript that we have of the book of Hebrews. Everybody say, God bless your word. And I want you to listen to me. And I'm going to give you, as I said, a persyllable uh, evaluation of the word as I read it. Therefore, it is necessary, Hebrews 2 and uh, 1. Therefore, it is necessary for us to pay very close attention, or the word is tie down or moor as a boat, that we tie down the things that we have heard, lest at any time we slip past the harbor. For if the word spoken by angel was firm, and every stepping around, and every listening around, received a just payback of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I give you the morning for the sake of remembering slipping past the harbor. It is Siemens language that is used, navigational terms that's used. For Persecane, we tie down it is necessary that we tie down every word. For if the word spoken by angel was firm, and every stepping around, we would say by step, actually to us it's stepping around, and by listening, that is listening around. There's a whole lot of stepping around the Word of God among us. There is a lot of listening around going on in the world today. People hear what they want to hear. And they will offer some explanation of cultural difference in order to make up for what they don't like in the Word of God. But the warning is that we be careful that we tie down, moor like a boat, the things that we have heard, lest any time we mean we slip past the harbor. There's a harbor of safety that the church has got to find. It is the harbor of truth. It is the only place where we are safe. Outside of truth, we are not on our own turf at all. We do not know how to operate. We do not know how to sail. We do not know how to handle ourselves. There is one truth 
And Jesus said, I am that truth. All truths are part of that one truth. In the end time, it says, and they'll send a strong delusion, and they will believe, the article is there, they will believe the lie. There is only one lie. And all lies are part of that one lie. I'm glad I am seeking the truth. Hallelujah to God. So it's clear what we need to do today. And that is we need to start tying down every word we hear from this blessed book. And God deliver us from preachers that step around it and say, well, really, this means this. And hearing around it, I hear this or that or the other. Amen. You may be seated. I read it from the uh, most ancient manuscript, as I mentioned, Papyri 46. There are three words used as a composition of para, which is beside or by, and that is paromin, that we tie down beside, not in, but, uh, or that we drift past by the harbor. Parabasis, parabasis, is around, stepping, stepping around. Then once again, the writer of Hebrews uses para, akoe, listening. And that is listening around the word of God. Because this will bring about a just payback of reward from God if we listen around the Word of God and step around the Word of God. And so we want to tie down what we're hearing today. Never let it be forgotten. Not because I said, but because I read it to you from the Word of God. Central theme of the book of Hebrews is how great God is. That's the first thing. His chariot are the winds. He rides upon the wings of the wind. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. The heavens grow old. Galaxies, the universe gets old. And when it gets old, this is how old God is. When the universe gets old, he just simply pulls it off. And he puts on another one. Thank God. That's how old God is. The one that we are in now may be getting old, and he's fixing to put on another one. That's how great God is. The next thing that is great in the book of Hebrews, I'm giving you the central theme is, and man is great. You made him lack a little from Elohim. Not angels, but Elohim. Adam was made to lack just a little from God. We have no concept here today what Adam was pre-fall. Because the Bible says all things were subjected to him. 
There was not anything that was not yet subjected that was not subjected unto him. The writer says, when I consider uh, the heavens, what is Adam that you pay him any attention? When I look at the rakish, the hammered bracelet, the asteroid belt, what is Enosh, the son of humanity, that you pay him any attention? You give him glory and honor, you subjected everything beneath his feet. Oh, brother, I believe that Adam, before the fall, had power, lacking just a little from Elohim, and that he commanded everything, the heavens and the earth. I believe when Jesus spoke and said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, he was not speaking from the ancient deity that resided in him, but he was speaking from the position that God intended man to be. We were made to lack a little from Elohim, but we see not yet all things subjected unto him. That's because of the fall. But we see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that one thing of everything God intended us to be. That's why he said all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. That was what Adam was to receive. So we talked about the theme of the book of Hebrews. And that theme is how great God is, how great man is, and how great Jesus Christ actually is. The book of Hebrews places the greatest demand of all upon holiness. Where it says, follow peace and holiness with all men. The word is the strongest. Dikaio. Chase holiness. Chase it. Run it down. The word means pursue it to the point of persecuting it. That's how badly we've got to go after holiness. We have got to chase it. To the degree that we are persecuting it. Delco, Delco. It's the word used for the hound chasing the prey. He may lose its track for a while, but you hear him keep working. And I can tell by the sound of his voice how worried he is. And all of a sudden, there will be an exciting ball out there in the woods. And I'll punch my buddy, and I said, he's picked it up. All right, pursue holiness. Why? Because without it, no man can see God. I believe it's Brother Pugh that said it. I gave him the credit anyway. Whatever holiness is, we've got to have it. Because without it, no man can see God. Oh, glory. And it is not left up to you nor I to determine what holiness is. The book determines what it is. Thank God. I am not allowed to impose what I think holiness is. I have got to tie down every word. I have got to tie down every statement. Listen to it. It doesn't mean a chapter. It doesn't say tie down an entire book. But he says every word. 
of the angel was firm. Thank God. And it gives that as an example of what we've got. We have the firm word of God. I'm so happy. Thank God that we've got a book that goes all the way back to the fellows that wrote it and say, I was there. I saw it happen. Here's the way it actually is. And we demand it. So chase after holiness. Run it down. Keep pursuing it. If you lose the track, keep scenting for it until you get the right scent and you can know you found what God is having you to seek after. The word holy in Greek is hegios, but it did not originate with Greek. From the Hebrew, it's uh, kedosh. Pluralized, it's kedish, kedishim. But holiness did not have its origination uh, either in Hebrew. But the word goes back to the oldest civilization of mankind, and that is called Sumerian. And in Sumeria, in Sumerian, the word is Kedishu. And it means withdrawal. Holiness does not first of all mean apartness and separateness. That is causal and consequential of what God intends to do with it uh, in the first place. The word means withdrawal. And the Enuma Elish of the Sumerians, which is the genesis of the Sumerians, means it means to draw back into that creation condition that man had with God. Praise God. And if you will look long enough and hard enough and chase holiness, you'll come to the idea and to the fact that holiness, real holiness, is finding that position that man had with God in creation. Sure, there is separateness. That happens because holiness takes us away from other things that people are doing. It will not allow us to be part of what they are doing. We are set apart because we are not striving to go their direction, we are striving to go in the direction of, of going back to creation and into the holy state of man. I believe this, at the rapture of this flesh, and I don't know when it is, it'll be or what, uh, what, where I'll be, but when I feel my feet leave the ground, I want to lean back and say, devil, you kissed my foot, I've made it in. Thank God. And I want you to know where I'm headed. I'm headed back to being that creature that God made in the Garden of Eden. To have the same power, have everything subject to Him, and not just a little from Elohim. Praise God. We're on our way. It is translated, uh, my first text in Sumerian was, I studied inscriptions from before the flood. These things are written before the flood and they are on stelae tablets. And not long ago, I was in a Dead Sea Scroll Society committee meeting and they brought to us a recent find and it was a four foot stelae, about uh, two foot tall, 
and it was of the Assyrian capture of the Israelites. And uh, they were showing us these drawings in stone that went back uh, many years to when uh, Israel was captured. And uh, it showed a woman with a little girl sitting on a cart. And then it showed uh, the Assyrian standing. You could recognize him because of the long hair coming down with the beard. And uh, this was in Oxford, in England. And uh, I interrupted and I said, uh, Professor, uh, Millard was his name. I said, Professor, uh, is not this the only picture we have of an ancient Israeli? And he said, yes, this is the only picture that I know of, we have, of an ancient Israeli. I said, well, I was just looking at their hair. The man's cut just like ours is cut, and the woman's hair was long and flowing. And when I said that, it went up in blue smoke because they never had noticed it before. <laughs> Amen. But she was given in creation luxurious hair while men isn't very long until his begins to thin and lose out very quickly. Amen. So I, I have no doubt in mind at all that, uh, that Adam was just about bald because that's the way we get in. Uh, he was older when he was created. He wasn't born. You understand. Thank God. Luxurious hair of the woman, and we'll get to the hair question in just a little bit. But I'm telling you, we, we need to tie down every word because we don't want to drift past thy harbor. God, let us get into that harbor of truth. It's the only place we belong. It's the only thing we can do. Get us into that harbor of truth. And rebuke us when we get the desire to step around. Or when we want to listen around. Well, he didn't really say it this way. He said it this way. Listening around. Every word has got to be tied down. I want you to get your strings out today spiritually and start tying down some things that need to be here. I'm going to tell you some stuff we need to tie down and never forget it. Praise God. But uh, into the New Testament, holiness, of course, uh, had the same idea because the teacher of the book, uh, writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us what God demanded of man and it tells us that we are to chase holiness, to run it down. Thank God, pursue it. I believe it's our, our lifelong task is to pursue holiness. I believe it is our lifelong task. I, I got interested uh, some time ago in finding out, uh, Paul said at one place that he went up and visited with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, for 15 days. And I looked at the word, and the word is historio, from which we get our word history. Peter went up and histrid, or Paul went up and histrid with Peter for 15 days. Wouldn't you like to have been there and heard what they talked about? Here's a man that got all of his by direct revelation, and he is visiting the man that was often rebuked by Jesus Christ, and beside that there was the brother of Jesus Christ. I said, I tell you what. I'm going to do. I'm going to take the writings of Paul and I'm going to take the writings of Peter and I'm going to find words in the Greek that they used exclusively. Nobody else used them and I'm going to find out what they talked about. It is amazing what they talked about in the 15 days of history. 
Uh, Paul says, I want women to adorn themselves in modest dress, plain face, sensible thinking. And uh, let me, instead of uh, reading through this, uh, tell you some of the things that they agreed on, that there should be modesty in dress. Tie that down. Don't listen around that. Tie it down. And if I'm going to compare modesty of dress, I am not going to do it with what we see today. I'm going to have to compare it to the way they looked then. There ought to be some long robes here today. Oh yes, oh yes. And modesty in dress, and listen to it. They both agreed there should be no entwining of the hair and gold. I'm cutting it short and letting you hear how the Greek words sound. They say there should be no entwining of gold and hair. Those two things go together. They twist, if you'll see the ancient Greeks, they twisted gold into their hair. He says you don't want to do that. Then he goes back to the original subjects or the putting on of pearls. Tie down every word, amen. Pearls are expensive clothes. We're going to listen around that one. I'm afraid we're going to listen around that, but if you want to tie it down today and you don't want to drift past the harbor, you're going to, you're going to listen to what Peter and Paul has agreed to say. How much does the britches cost you're wearing right now? We make pulls for missionaries. We make pulls for every kind of cause there is in the world. And we've got on everything from alligator shoes to uh, huge expensive hats and what have you. Dear God, have mercy on us. Expensive clothes is there by both Peter and Paul. It, it tied down today. Amen. Start being simple with your shopping program. I believe it's the men that's shouting right now. Oh God, oh God, get the women on their feet. Hallelujah. Amen. Expensive clothes. Oh God, help us. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't entwine the hair with gold or putting on a pearls or expensive clothes and subjection to their husbands. And Paul tells you the reason. Not because she's less, not because she's stupid, not because you're the boss, but silence is because Adam was formed first, then Eve. Go back to creation. Every time you talk about holiness, you go back to creation. God is not caring about uh, the values of being smart or great or anything else. He is talking about the order of creation. What God has in mind today is His church has got to remember that He is the Creator and His church is going to show forth every aspect of that creation. They know who was made first and who was made second. And Adam, uh, Epitate, did not begin to be deceived. He didn't even start to be deceived. But Eve was epitate. She was deceived out. It's like I gave the illustration last year. You're playing a ball player and uh, you, you fake him out. Says Adam did not begin to be deceived, but Eve was faked out 
and was in the transgression. But you never read about the original sin of Eve, do you? You read about the original sin of Adam. You know why? It's because she is really part of him. And he is responsible for the unit. When he speaks of his wife, he is speaking of himself. Paul quotes this, says you, be in silence. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. These twain shall be one flesh, it says. Man shall leave his father and mother. Get that. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. And they become one flesh. Tie it down. Don't listen around it today. Adam loved Eve so much that when the Lord presented, took him from her side, actually midst, from not rib, but midst as the side of the tabernacle, took her from his side. I don't know what it was. A rib's not the word, but midst. Took him from the side, like the side of the tabernacle, and presented her to Adam. He said, at last, one that is like me. He had named all the other animals. And he loved her so much that when Satan had a little conversation with Eve, he spoke to her sort of like a salesman. He began to, uh, he didn't say you need to buy this, he asked her a question. Didn't God say you shall not eat of the fruit of the ground? And the woman said, yes, this is what God said, you'll not eat of that particular tree, nor even touch it. She exaggerated a little bit. Can't imagine that, can you? She exaggerated a little bit. Amen. And, but when she brought that fruit to Adam, he was not deceived. He didn't begin to be deceived. He knew he was looking at a dying wife. His wife was dying because God had told him, in the day you eat, you're going to surely die. He had a choice to make. I either remain in this garden with my Creator and stay like I am. But because I love her so much, I love her. We have never understood, men. We've never tied that down, how much we're supposed to love our wives. He loved her so much that he took what she offered him and he ate it knowing what was going to He chose to die. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ had a choice to make that evening in the garden. He could stay like he was and be God in flesh or he could take uh, the same thing that man ate and die with him. I am so glad that Jesus didn't remain in the state of sinless uh, deity as he was uh, but he chose to die with you and I and by doing that he is able to bring us in oh praise God amen he had a choice to make and he made that choice thank God and that's the way husbands are supposed to love their wives you call her stupid and you try to put her down you're out of your place. 
I tell you, the denominational world and some of their big conventions are having the greatest splits over the matter of whether women are to be listened to in church. Paul clears it up in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, a woman praying or prophesying. And he had just, just got through telling us that prophecy is for the entire church, whereas tongues may be for the individual. But prophecy is for the good of everybody. She is to prophesy. There's some things she may not feel that she is able to do. But hear me now. She called Abraham Lord. Somebody said, I'd never do that. What if you were Abraham and, and you were loved as much as Abraham loved Sarah? The problem is we hadn't gotten it all right. We've set ourselves barriers and we've stepped around a few things and says it means this much and that's all and it means this much. We've listened around and it means only this. Oh no, my friend. He is, she called him Lord here is the original Greek, not fearing one bit of intimidation. She was never intimidated. She was never made to feel that she was less than he was. Thank God. That's why Adam is the first prophet when he saw Eve, he said, from my flesh. Thank God. Therefore, from now on, a man is going to leave his father and mother just like I'm doing, and he's going to cleave to his wife. He made that choice and he died with her. Thank God and Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden sweated it out that night. But the Bible said he loved us so much that he gave himself for us. Hear me now. Husbands, we are to love our wives that much. Uh, enough that we don't intimidate them, that we don't make them feel less. Amen. Thank God. And the thing when it works right, if truth is really operating in our family, there is no question whatsoever the Word of God has it worked rightly. Amen? Thank God. We drift past the harbor. There are those that have left us saying that it's not necessary. I wonder where they get the Scripture. They have dismissed entire chapters. Now, I don't mean just a verse or a word or two, but chapters. 1 Corinthians 11, they say, Paul is talking about a cultural thing. Would you please show me that in 1 Corinthians 11 where it says that? Six times in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul is talking about hair, he goes back to creation. Six times. He gives the divine order of series. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. And it says that every man praying or prophesying with his, actually the word is hair cut down his head. The word veil is not there. The word does not, a word veil does not appear until later in the verse where it says a woman's hair is given to her ante instead of a veil. It's the only place where veil is mentioned. But it talks about a man praying or prophesying with hair down his head. Amen. When you get to go to prayer, man, you better, you better kind of feel how long it is and see if it's down your head. Paul delivered from the court 
of Galileo. He delivered from the court. The Bible said he cut his hair. Two words. There is kero, which is cut or trimmed, and suaro. He cut his hair, not because he had a vow. The word is UK, the same word James as James 5 and 7. If uh, you know the prayer of faith shall save the sick. He cut his hair because he had a prayer of thanksgiving. The first induction of holiness is upon the man. Man, when you start to go to prayer, you better make sure that your hair is cut right. Thank God, because this is what God is looking at. I say it again. Paul cut or trimmed his hair because he had a prayer of thanksgiving. Check it out. Run it down, and it'll translate that way. It's the same word. If any sick among you, let them call for the elder church. The prayer of faith is the same word used for Paul there. Amen. And talking about the order, the reason that this hair thing is like it is, it shows your place in the order of creation. Amen. Man was made first, then woman. And man is the image and doxa reflection of God. It can be brilliance, splendor, or glory. But Art and Gingrich and all the lexicon here tells us here it is reflection. Thank God. The reason man is to have short hair is because he is the image. Same word is used in Genesis when he made him in his image. And he here is the reflection of God. When God would look in a mirror, he would see himself as a man who is properly prepared for prayer. Praise God. Oh, make sure, make sure that you're right. And man is not out of the woman. All of this is in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't talk about the culture of the Greek. He doesn't talk about the long hair because of culture. He's talking about because of creation. Amen. Woman, man is not out of the woman, but the woman is not, or is out of the man. And man is not for the woman, but the woman is for the man. And it says that does not nature itself teach you if a man have long hair it is a kaitoskino, uh, kaitoskino. But if a woman have long hair it is a doxy. It is an honor, brilliance, and splendor unto her. Two words here. I said caro and ksuaro. It says it is one and the same if she is cut or shaved. Tie down every word. I'm quoting it exactly like the apostle wrote it. Amen. Thank God. It is exactly the same whether it's cut or whether it's shaved. Then he asks a first class condition, EI uh, with a subjunctive. If it is a shame which for a woman to have long hair, the, uh, the first class condition means it is a shame. You can translation translate, it is a shame for a woman to have long hair. Then let her be covered and later tell you her hair is given to her instead of a covering. Say praise the Lord. Amen. So uh, the covering is showing your order. 
it says that a woman should have authority, not power, exousia. She should have authority on her head because of the messengers. Angelos is simply messenger. They can be angels of God or other kind, but messengers. They were there at creation. Amen. Why should a woman, and does a woman have authority on her head, head with her hair when there are beings? Because these creatures were there when they were created. And he knows. Praise God. And I, I want to be recognized for what I am. Brother Urshan preached about it last night. Dear God, have mercy. What God is trying to do in this age is keep us like we are. The reason is, it's not a matter of style. It's not a matter of some culture. But we are, we are saying we believe in a creator. And we believe he created it like this. Thank God. Paul praying for men that was demon-possessed, the sons of Sceva. And they said, uh, said, well, prayed enough until they got an answer from the devil and said, Paul we know, and Jesus we know. I wonder if you're known in hell. You reckon? You reckon Marvin Treese's name ever been called in hell? Jesus we know, and Paul we know. And I'll promise you every devil in hell said, Amen, we know who Paul is. Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? A woman praying or prophesying with her hair cut shames down her head, and her head is the man. And a man praying with long hair shames down his head, which is Christ. Praise God. And when you get down to prayer and they see you got the wrong symbol of creation on your head, they'll be like the uh, demons with the Sceva son. Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? I can't tell who you are by the way you look. Amen. Are you, Brother Urshan, speeded up the car to try to find out whether it was a man or a woman? This angel, this messenger, he's got to speed up the car or whatever he's riding to try to find out what it is. Woman, it says you need authority on because of the messengers. When you step into prayer, you step into an arena, my friend, where there are powers that are going to try to beat you down, you need all the authority you can get. Thank God you need to let God know it's this way. Here I am. I believe it's this way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I go to prayer and I start casting out devils, I want to take it. Look at me. Look at me. Thank God. Thank God I got my hair cut. Glory to God. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't live. I like the world. I love Jesus with all of my heart. Now, devil, I'm going to talk to you. Woo, fella! I want authority when I go to prayer. Well, God grant us authority here today. While we're standing right here, does he know who you are? How many believe right now? Uh, I believe the devil's gone. 
But I, I say, if he were here looking up, does he know who you are? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God. Why am I doing it? Because God made me this way. Thank God. Now, uh, some uh, singing comedian, some of the real famous uh, singing groups, made fun of... Uh, for it's a shame for a woman to have short hair or a man have long hair. And uh, take shame as just bit, being a little bit inconvenient. He said, well, it's a shame we don't have air conditioning here. That's what you call stepping around. That's what you call listening around. God, I'm going to tie this boat down today where it won't go past the harbor of truth. I want the harbor of truth. Hallelujah to God. If the word were only a stunet, that would be shame. And that is enough in the book of Peter to send angels to hell. A stuno. Their shame like rolling up like waves of the sea. But the word is not purely a stune. It has a preposition before it, kata, which is down, a stune. Kata stune, it means down shame. But kata loses prepositional force in composition and has a protective force. It means utterly disgraced. When you pray, woman with your hair cut, you are utterly disgracing. And that is the emotion of sin. Sin is a legal word. But disgrace is the emotion of sin. It doesn't mean it's not sin. It's talking about it's dealing with the emotion of that sin. When you cut your hair, woman, you have utterly disgraced your head which is the man. And if the man leaves his hair long and goes to prayer, he utterly, kata estune, he utterly disgraces his head, so the woman is individually utterly disgracing Jesus Christ as well. Praise God. I don't want to disgrace him at all. I want him to know I'm working to be what he tried to make me to be in the beginning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're trying to go back to what God had us to be when he created us. Thank God, and we're getting ready for it. But we see Jesus Christ, who was made like unto him. Hallelujah, all power and glory given unto him. But it says he was given it to him that he may lead many sons to glory. That's what's happening here today. He's leading many sons to glory, and we're following him. And you're not going to be able to follow him looking at your Bible and listening to your preacher and start figuring out what it means by your own theology. You develop your own theology, you better have a pretty good way of proving it or I'm going to face you with the real, genuine, original Word of God and tell you exactly how it means. No, it's not just a little bit embarrassing for your hair to be the wrong sort, but it means God is shamed down. He is disgraced utterly. 
you tell me how we can be the church of the living God and utterly disgrace God who made us. Hallelujah! How many know who you are and what you are here today? Praise God. Aren't you glad that you got it all right? Amen. Some of you may be newly prayed through and your hair hadn't grown out, ladies, yet like it will. You can go ahead and worship God on your commitment. It's going to get long enough that I'll step on it. I'll have to roll it up to put it on my head. Thank God. Amen, man. You're going to cut it every week. Or how often do you pray? A man praying with his hair, anything, a man praying with hair down his head. The ancient word was below the years, past the neck, by the ancient rabbinics. Any man praying, praying. Would it be too rude if I were to say you might as well get up if you've been letting it grow and you've been flipping it around a little bit and you're trying to show everybody sort of how pretty it is. Get up. You might as well get up because you're going to run into some boogers. You're going to run into some demons that will be glad to see you. Oh, they'll be glad to see you. And they'll lead you along lines you don't want to go. If I ever felt that in my life, I'd get up and go in to, I, I cut my own with a razor. I'd get up and go into the bathroom right now and I'd buzz it all off. Amen. God, get rid of these evil fellows out here. I've got power over them. I was made. It says, does not propriety teach you? That if a woman have long hair, it is a glory. That doesn't mean that it's just propriety, it sort of looks good. Prepon is the same word that's used for us when it talks about that a high priest was prepon, was necessary for you and I. Thank God. We could not have gotten by with a high priest any less than Jesus Christ. We had to have that kind of a high priest. When it says it's proper, it's the same proper as it is for you and I to have Jesus Christ for our high priest. I don't want one that's kind of a high priest. I don't want a savior that's kind of a savior, but I want an absolute, powerful, glory to God, saving priest. Hallelujah to God. Taking a, a Sephardim Hebrew once, and, and the uh, professor, rabbi, began saying the four letters of the tetragrammaton words for we call Jehovah Lord in our Bible we do not know how to pronounce it because the vowels are not underneath the consonants I would agree with him every time do not know how to pronounce it we say Yahweh now or Yahweh probably more correct but we don't know exactly he came back to me one day and said uh, MD said, I see you agreeing with me on the Tetragrammaton, the pronunciation of the name of God. I said, I agree with you. He said, how can you do that? I said, because we don't, we're not a trinity. We don't believe there are three. We believe in one God. He said, what about his name? I said, his name is no mystery to us. You do not pronounce 
the tetragrammaton in full because it is sacronoma. It is too holy. You make two yokes, which looks like apostrophes, two yokes with a shema or shva underneath it, and you pronounce it yah. They would not pronounce the tetragrammaton first thing. They didn't know how, and it was sacronoma. It was too holy to pronounce. I said, how do you pronounce? What is your word for? It's yah. I said, fine. I said, what is the word salvation? He said, shua. I said, that's how we know his name. He is yah, shua. Or yahashua. Hallelujah. He was yah sitkenu, our righteousness. He was yah rafa, our healer. He was Yah Shalom, our peace. But now he has become Yahshua, our salvation. He said, I never heard it like that before. I said, that's his name. His name is no mystery to us. Thank God. His name is Yahshua, which is Jesus in English. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I gotta hurry. I gotta hurry. But somebody said, yeah, but what are all these other people who claim this or that? I can't be bothered with what the world claims, nor can I be bothered by what they call me. It doesn't make an ounce of difference. I'll stand against the whole world by myself. If I find one more man that believes like I do, I'll put my arm around him and say, Lord, here's the New Testament church because we've tied down every word and we've listened to every word you say. But can't we win these people by being, you know, going kind of a little bit their way? The question was asked by God to Haggai. Listen to it. Yahweh, Daviot, the Lord of hosts, said, Now, ask the priest, if a man has holy flesh, that which has been dedicated at the temple, he has holy flesh in his fold of his garment. It's actually in his pocket. He's got holy meat in his pocket. And it touches something that is unholy. Does it make what he touches holy? The priest said, no. We cannot make them holy by touching them. Now, Yahweh Zaviot asked Haggai, well, if a man has holy meat in his pocket and he touches that which is unholy, does it make that meat unholy? The answer is yes. We are at a disadvantage. We cannot make the world holy by our association but they can make us unholy by associating. I'm sorry, we're at a disadvantage. I just can't do it. I can't go to where they go. I can't do like they do. And somebody said, oh, you're narrow, you're small, you're too little. I'm sorry, but I'm at a disadvantage. I can't make them holy by being with them, but they can make me holy. You come out from among them and you be separate saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Withdraw back into the sanctuary. 
withdraw back into creation's proposition and try to be what God made you to be. Praise God. Somebody said, well, what about painting your face? Read it in Jude and 8. You'd like to say I've got a comparison of the book of 2 Peter with 1 Enoch and with Jude and Peter. They both quote Enoch relative to the fallen angels who were called Anunnaki in the Sumerian. They were the gods, finally became the gods of Babylonia, finally become the gods of Greece, etc. But first of all, they were called Anunnaki. Our Bible calls them Nephilim, Genesis 6, those who fell. Anunnaki means those who fell from heaven to earth. And it says, Enoch says, and Jude quotes part of it, that the fallen Anunnaki taught men how to make weapons of war and taught women the painting of the face and the shadowing of the eyelids. Taught them in the culture of alchemy, that is mixing a silver metallic substance and putting it under the eye, and then taught them uh, the handling of fetuses and uh, developing fetuses and so forth. I don't have time to go in. They, we're just now coming back to the knowledge they had then. Jude refers to these fallen angels, hear me, and never forget it. Tie it down. Are you listening? You're not listening around, are you? You're going to listen. Jude said these. The word men is not there in the original. He is referring these. Uh, the relative pronoun has effect to the fallen angels. These, where it says defile the flesh, the word is me, I know. These paint the flesh. Amen. That, that's not nearly it. That's it. They are defiled, secondly defiled. Firstly, they are defiled because they have been painted, and Thayer says they have been uh, changed by a dye on their face. We got Bible for everything we preach. But some of you didn't jump very high because you like to paint it up a little bit and you like to change it a little bit and we're going to step around it and we're going to fix it up. Oh, brother, you can't make it as good as God wants. He's not interested. Amen? Glory to God. Well, let me go back to this. Talking about changing yourself. Women, you are not to authentain over men. Authentain, our word has usurped. Strange word used only one time in the Bible. Authentain, our word authenticity comes from it. But it is a combination of two words. Autos, self, it's the aim, weapon. Woman, do not use your self-weapon in church. All right? Do not use your womanly wiles. Eve got Adam to do what she wanted because she knew he loved her and she showed off and she used her womanly wiles. Amen. You don't do that, my friend, in the house of God. 
couldn't tell the difference between a real shout and dance and between some of these that are getting up trying to do it pretty while they're having the choir. We better get back to the old time singing. I wish I had time to talk about singing. I could prove to you how it goes. Amen. Amen? It is not by might, nor power, nor a PA set. Did you hear that? It's not by might, nor power, nor the PA set. Have our ears blown off. Dear God, have mercy. Oh, no. Woman, you're not going to come with your flirtatious looks and your doings, and you're not going to affect the church of God. You give up to get a message in tongues and interpretation. You don't do it with flamboyancy and a womanly wild. Thank God. Thank God you stay what you are in your place with your long hair the way God created you. Let me tell you men something. We're not going to have you to get up here, men. Pull off your shirt, your pants, get down to just your briefs and reach down and get a 400-pound uh, dumbbell and lift it up and have everybody praising God while you watch that powerful physique. Praise God. It's not by my might nor by my power unless God comes in the midst of us with a holy sound and with a holy feeling we're lost and we are undone. God, I don't have the persona. I don't have the personality. I don't have the muscles. You could put that dumbbell up here. I could strip off my shirt and get down to my skivvies and try to show you my muscles and, and God would be dishonored. Amen. But if I had huge muscles and I, I'd try to lift that up and everybody go to shouting, where in the world did that come from? You stepped around. You listened around something. We are trying to promote praise in the wrong way. I said we're trying to promote praise in the wrong way. It's not by might nor by power. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I'm going to say something. I have no criticism. I'm just, I've seen it all over the country. We are trying to replace spirit with volume. Amen. Praise God. I've got to hurry on. I'm coming to a close here. Hallelujah. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. A woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man. For if she does, it's an abomination unto God. Somebody said that's in the Old Testament. You know what you're doing? You're stepping around. And you're listening around. You have developed your own theology. And it better be good when you stand before God. You better have a real good theology developed when you get there because you're going to stand against this word. I'm going to give you a little test. That scripture is four verses from another scripture in the Old Testament on which our salvation hinges. 
Amen. Somebody said that's in the Old Testament. We don't use it. It's only four verses from another verse of the Old Testament upon which our salvation hinges. Let me give you a test. If you keep the whole law, but you offend in one point, Paul says you become guilty of the whole. Is that right? Jesus Christ endured the cross, but he despised the shame. Paul says he became a curse for us that the curse might be removed off of us. I'm going to ask you a question. What sin did Jesus Christ commit to bring the curse of the law upon him and give us deliverance? Paul answered it. Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He didn't do it. It was done to him. He hung there and he hated the shame. It says, if a man commits a crime that's worthy of death, you shall not leave him hang all night long on a tree because it is abomination. God is disgraced by that. The rabbinics tell the story, uh, ancient rabbinics going back before Christ, there's two twins, they're twins. One of them was a crook. The other became king. The robber was caught and hanged. And everybody passed by saw the robber, looked and said, My God, they've hanged the king. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. The highest order of life hanging on the highest order of plant life. Amen. That's an abomination to God. That's four verses from where it says, And a woman or shall not wear that which pertains to a man, or a man wear that which pertains to a woman. If I dismiss the Old Testament, I've got to get rid of the Scripture that brings me my entire salvation. Have you got it? Well, I'm moving, I'm quitting. Come down to close. What happens when we forget this matter of creation. We start dressing and acting like we want to, being like we can't tell what's what, you know, what happens. Paul got his head cut off probably because of the first chapter of Romans. I won't have time to read it all, but you knew him as God. You didn't glorify him as God. Well, neither were you thankful. You became worthless in your reasoning. I'll give you the high points of that chapter and tell you what happened. You changed God into the image of man. You make man God and you bring God down. When we forget creation, when I start dressing and acting like I have forgotten who created me, then I am, as Paul says, changing the image of God. I don't want to change this image of God. I want it to be just like God made it. It says they degrade their bodies among themselves. Amen? Degrade their bodies. Do you know this body is holy? I want you to hear one word and that this is it. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Not many of you know that. He doesn't live in temples made with men's hands. Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. 
Paul says, Can I, shall I join this body to a harlot? Am I going to join this body to a harlot? God forbid. This is God's body. This is God's tabernacle. And he's living in that tabernacle. You forget that. I'll go on. Degrade their bodies among themselves. They reversed worship and began to worship men and four-footed beasts and creeping things. With the animal rights going on, they said it the other day, Paul Harvey, I believe, said, children are treated like animals and animals are treated like children. Now, I'm an old coon hunter by trade. I just used to preach on the side, but I never did kiss one of my coon hounds. I never did get one of them down in the face and him licking around and kiss that dirty dog. Them creatures eat a dead chicken then kiss you in the face. Amen. They are given over to passions of disgrace. What, what happens when you lose your place in creation? You begin to lose your place in worship and passions of disgrace. It starts with the females first. Even females exchange their natural use. Everybody say, God help us. It gets very quiet when we start talking about that, but it's all over the world right now. As Brother Urshan said last night, God intended for a man to be a man, and when you look at him, you know he's one. A woman to be a woman. Next is they do degrading acts. What does God do? He gives them over to a worthless mind. The word reprobate is worthless. It's no good to God anymore. When you have left the fact that God is creator, and I am created in his likeness, when you have left that, my friend, then you begin to receive a worthless mind. It is no good to God anymore. And here's the next thing. These who do these things are worthy of death. And listen to this. And those who agree with them. We're not just talking about not doing it. We're talking about agreeing with them. Praise God, praise God. But this is a wonderful church. Hallelujah. I love the prophecy of the church. Hear it. The wilderness and the solitary places shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with the joy of sin. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. For they shall come and see the excellency of our Lord and of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hand. Confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are fearful, be strong. For behold, your God is coming, even a God with a recompense. For he will come and save us. Then shall the eyes be opened, blind eyes be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And waters shall break out and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become as pools, and the thirsty land as springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and a way 
and listen to the original Hebrew, it shall be called the Holiness Road. It's going on right now. God healing. Thank God. God causing lame man to leap. Praise God. He's causing all that to happen. But at the same time, there's a highway there. And the Hebrew says it's called a holiness road. I'm walking on a holiness road. We might as well get used to it. We're walking on a holiness road. I'm asking you today, do you like the holiness road? ashamed of the holiness road. I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God and the salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the holiness road. I believe in walking right, talking right, spitting white. Hallelujah. Covering your body. I got to give a little credit and, and, and I'm closing with this, I promise. In our camp meeting, Brother preached a very outstanding message. What's his name, son? He preached. Preached a wonderful message. And he's talking about God told Moses, I'm coming down the mountain to meet you tomorrow. Brother Booker, wonderful teacher. God says, Moses, I'm coming down the mountain to meet the people tomorrow. And I want you to mark off the mountain. And I don't want you to let anybody get near that mark. If they so much as touch that mark, they're going to die. Now the dilemma is the preachers. Where are you going to put the mark? Where does a mountain start? Who is going to decide where a mountain starts? Here, here, or here. You, you draw that line. The preacher draws the line. I don't like that old preacher. I know you don't. But somebody's got the job of drawing a line because God is going to come near you. Hallelujah to God. And he says in his church, he says, I say to the elbow. He said, you know why elbow? Because he said everybody knows where the elbow is. The problem is you draw a line and they'll cross over it a little bit. They're going to change it just a little bit. But you that are wanting to meet God in peace, how many really want to see Him? I'm planning on seeing Him. I want to be in that number when He comes for us. And I want to tie every word down so that what I have believed and what I've trusted in is the Word of God. Thank God. He is holy, isn't he? Everybody say it together. I'm going to chase holiness. Let's say it again. I'm going to chase holiness. Let's say it like this. I'm going to run it down. It's going to be a part of my life. No more stepping around. No more listening around. But I'm going to tie the boat down because I don't want to drift past the harbor.
Praise God. How many of you love holiness this morning? Thank God for this tremendous, tremendous teaching. We not only need to know truth, we need to love truth. Thank God for truth. Amen. If you'll just remain standing for a moment. How many of you love our missionaries?